Pour your spirit out on me Fall just like the rain Saturate my thirsty soul Come and fall afresh on me Fill my cup again Heal my heart and make me whole I need you now For your spirit Lord, I seek you together. If you want the Lord just to come by your pew tonight, why don't you just open your cup? Raise your hand to him and say, Lord, fill my cup, Lord. Yes, Jesus. I'm lifting it up now. Heavenly Father, yes, Lord. Lord, you see every hand and every heart, Lord. You know, Lord Jesus, the level where we're at, Lord. You know how empty our cups or how full they are. Yes, Lord. Father, if they would overflow, we'll just drink from our saucer, Lord. Yes. Whatever it takes, Lord, we just want to open our hearts. Oh, God. Lay down all our own ideas, Lord, and forget about all the things of tomorrow and the things of yesterday. Yes. 
And Father, just ask, Lord, that you come in this moment. Come and change us, Lord Jesus. Fill us full of your presence, full of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to leave this place, oh God, saying, haven't we been with Jesus? Lord, we just commit it all to you now. Help me just to get myself aside that you could come and speak, Lord. We love you, Lord, just to worship you, to raise our hands, to be in this atmosphere, Lord. It's so humbling, Lord. Yet, Father God, we look for more of you every day. So, Lord, we ask you to have your way. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, musicians. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, if you would. Welcome you all to the house of the Lord. It's good to be here, isn't it? Amen. 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 Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Then I'll also turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Amen. Amen. I want to apologize up front to the sister on the screen I did not give her any scriptures so if she's lagging behind it's my fault (laughs) amen Ephesians chapter 6 very familiar to us all I don't think anyone today would be surprised by what's written in here At least anyone that is in the message. But it's pertinent. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There ain't no way we can do it on our own. You've got to put on the armor of God. And it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Really, that verse is what I'm taking from tonight, but we'll carry on to read some more. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, the, of God." praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's turn quickly over to Leviticus chapter 23. For the sake of not keeping you standing too long, I'll withhold my comments until I finish reading. Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 1, 
says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, that ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. And he says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and the holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover, and the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye shall eat unleavened bread." And in the first day, ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no so servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And in the seventh day is a holy convocation. And ye shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I shall give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priests. And ye shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year of the burnt offerings. And the meat offering thereof shall be two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil and offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, and the fourth part of a hen. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day which ye had brought the offering unto the Lord. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. Amen. May the Lord as blessing to the word you may have your seats. Let's go over a few chapters, just over into Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. And verse 1, it says, And you shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And he goes on to describe some things that you will do and how he will fight for you. And he says in verse 11, says, And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And verse 12 says, And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen, but I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, he begins to go through a whole lot, all the way to verse 46. But if we'll jump down to verse 30, quickly, Sister Ruth. Verse 30 says this, and it says, And I will destroy 
your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. My. And I want to take a subject tonight and then maybe a lot of scripture reading in there and some of it we likely won't get to, but I want to take a subject on our fight. What is our fight today? As we read in the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, we don't war against flesh and blood. We don't war against these things. We don't war against the governments. We don't war against the, 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 the ideas of man, the laws of the land. This is something that as I was studying it, I'll be honest with you, there was times in my office I was rejoicing and there was times in the office I said, Lord, give me grace in the eyes of the people. So I trust you give me grace tonight and we'll just take it as the Lord gives it. But as, as I begin to study on these high places, because it says we, we, we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And as for a long time, I, I used to think, so I'm going to correct myself, because I used to think that the spiritual wickedness in high places was in the high places of government or in the high places of the world, that there was spiritual wickedness there. We can see there's spiritual wickedness there, but that's not what it's talking about. That is not what we're wrestling against is the spiritual wickedness in the government. We're not wrestling against the spiritual wickedness in great companies. We know it's there, but that's not our fight. That's not what we're wrestling against. That's not what the purpose of the message to come in this day was not to help us overcome Justin Trudeau or, or Trump or, or the other guy, whatever his name is, Biden. There you go. But, but we're not to do those things. That's not our fight. But we have a fight. And it's a death and a life, a life and death fight. It's, it's something that, it's a struggle every day. But, uh, but notice in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 41, the, the Bible would record this about Balaam and Balak where it says that and it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And it says, and thence he might see the utmost part of the people. Now I want to say this is the attitude of high places that we build ourselves. This is the attitude it brings about that this is my God. This is my high place. This is where I go to worship and it's better than yours. It brings about a condescending attitude like Balaam or Balak wanted to show Balaam to see, let's go to my best place and I'll show you from there their worst place. Because it's an attitude of, uh, of, of idolatry and you have to justify it outside of the word of God. It says, and, 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 and in Numbers chapter 33, it would speak and it would say, speak, or God would speak to Moses and say, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you pass over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all of their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Amen. So here God is making the promise saying, I've given you the land to possess it. But when you go into that land, there's something I need you to do. 
He said, well, of course, we need to destroy their pictures. We don't want to be partaking of all of the filthy images. We don't want to be partaking of all of the, the, the graven images and the molten images. Absolutely, we want to get rid of those things. We can clearly see those things are evil, but he takes a step further and says, even take down all the high places. All the places that have been exalted, in other words, all the places that have been uh, elevated above the other places, something that says this is a special place, usually or almost always a place of worship. He says, don't just leave the place there. Don't just remove the idol. Don't just take out the image. Don't just take out the, 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 the form of worship. Completely take the place and level it. And if you follow this down through the scriptures, and maybe you don't have to put these up because there's a lot of them, but I'll just say them quickly because I'll paraphrase them. But it says in 1 Kings 15, it talks about Asa, the king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David, his father. He took away the Sodomites out of the land and he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also Masha, his mother, even her, he, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. That's some very serious decisions. Yeah. He's even turning to his own mother saying, you can't even be queen anymore because of your sin. Because of what you did. But the scripture goes on to say, but the high places were not removed. Yeah. This is how much it mattered to God that even then in the reign of Jehoshaphat, and he reigned, and we know Jehoshaphat to be a godly king. But it says, in all that he did and walking in the ways of Asa, his father, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. And, and, and he even took out, he did many more works that even though Asa took out the Sodomites, he went and rounded all the Sodomites up. Anyone that Asa missed, he took them all out. He said, none of you can be here. But even if you go on, he didn't, re, he didn't remove the high places. Then uh, uh, Joash, Jehoash, if I'm saying that right. He also did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But the scripture says the high places he did not take away. Joash even. In the second year of Joash, he reigned for so long and he did good. But how be it, the high places were not taken away. Brother Brown would pick that up in the era of God's deliverance and he would say he was a lukewarm borderline preacher. Talking about the King Joash. A lukewarm borderline believer. The way people wanted to do, that was all right with Joash. Oh, he'd taken away of the few of the high places. The obvious ones. And, and where the heathen worship was. And he'd done a few of these things, but yet he departed not from the sins of his father. And like that, any way the people wanted to go, that's the way he wanted to go. So we see even Joash, he went so far, but yet he couldn't quite go all the way. And Brother Bam looks at it and says, that's a lukewarm believer, which we know exactly how that tastes to God. We know exactly what he thinks about lukewarmness today. Are you with me still? All right, good. Because we know today, he says, be cold or be hot. But because you're lukewarm, I'm not interested in that drink. I'm going to spew it out of my mouth. But here was Joash. He said, he went so far. He was good to so many degrees. He removed some of the high places. But some of them, he did not remove them all. 
And we'll go on to say, even Amaziah, another king of Judah, he did reign, but he, and he did good in the sight of the Lord, but save that the high places were not removed, and people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. And again, in Jotham, when he took over the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that he began to reign, and he did some good things, but it says that how be it, the high places were not removed, and people still sacrificed there now. So at first it became that they took out the idolatry, they took out the things, but they kept the high place. Then what began to creep back in? People began to worship there again. Because they didn't level it. Because they didn't completely kick the sin out. They didn't take the foundations of it and rip out the root of it. It began to grow back up again. And even 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. But now because they they allowed that to creep back in, now they had a king that he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, but he made his sons to pass through fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So now here, it's not just some people and some priests and some this and some that. Now it's the king. Because they didn't destroy them. As God said, when you come in the land, I got a job for you. Don't just take out the idol worship. Take out every last remnant of it. And you find in the ninth year of Hosea, The king of Assyria took Samaria and he carried Israel away into Assyria, a place, and placed them in Halah and Habor by the river of Gozan and the city of the Medes. And, and so it was the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. What did they do? They started worshiping idols again. Right. It says, and they walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before them. And the children of Israel did secretly... Those things that were not right against the Lord, their God. And they built. Now they're not just in the business of setting back up the idolatry in the high places. Now they're in the business of getting some bulldozers and building some high places. It says they even built themselves some high places. And in all of their cities from the tower of the watchman in the fenced city, they did it in secret and they set them up images and groves on every high hill under every green tree and they burnt incense on the high places as the the heathens did and they did it and it provoked the Lord to anger. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, if we just, I'm just continually following it down. It says that how be it every nation made their gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans were made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And listen to these next few verses in verse 33, if you jump on down, it says, and they feared the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, and served their own gods. Wow. They said we fear the Lord, but yet they serve their own gods. After the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. And these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so did they unto this day. This is what begins to happen when you begin to mix open truth and secret sin. 
you begin to live a hypocritical life. Or you begin to say, well, I fear the Lord. I go to church, but yet I want to serve my own gods. Most nominal churches today do it openly. Where they want to come and they want to worship. They want to stand. They want to raise their hands. They want to sing songs. They want to have certain things. But they want to walk in their own way. But yet still, we want to make sure it's not even done in a secret where we want to come openly and worship God and have fear of the Lord and respect towards God. And we want to partake of communion. We want to partake of foot washing. But in our own secret, we've got our own gods and our own high places. It kindles the wrath of God. But now what happens when you remove the high places? Because there was a king named Hezekiah. He began as a, as a very godly king. He began to reign at 20 and 5 years old. And he removed the high places. And break the images and cut down the groves and break the pieces of the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Now catch this for a minute. They'd gotten so bad that they took something that was good and started making it into something that was bad. They started worshiping the serpent as though it was God so that the king had to even take that and break it to pieces and completely grind it into dust because he realized this isn't what it used to be. God's moved on and you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And King Hezekiah broke all those things down. He wasn't just interested in just taking down the images and all the idols and things. He removed the high places completely. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah or any that were before him. Oh my, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Watch what happens when you do this. He says, and the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. God was so with him, he was able to throw off the oppression. God was so with him that no matter how much they were trying to put on him, he was able to rise up. In the power that God had given him, and no matter how much the rulers of darkness had pushed on him and pushed on him, he was able to throw it off because he completely cut down the high places and said, I'm not even interested in a root of this sin anymore. And it didn't just stop there. It said, and he smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. He had victory on every hand. Oh my. And he even said, but if you say unto me, we trust the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Look at the attitudes of the people. They still thought they were worshiping God in the high places. They were so deceived. They said, Hezekiah took away our places where we worship God because Hezekiah was looking at the commandment of Moses that said, I am one God. We got to go right back to the original seed. We got to stay with the pure word of God and not add one thing to it. Even if we can say there's a little inkling of God in there. If it's not all of it, it don't take it. I'll say that was the same Hezekiah that got sick. 
It was the same Hezekiah that prayed and God turned the prophet around and moved the sun tile back 10 degrees and said, you'll live, live 50 more years. And still he began to build back up the high places in his own heart because he lifted himself up now. In 2 Kings in 21, then his son Manasseh. was 12 years old when he began to reign and he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed and he reared up the altars of Baal and made a grove as did Ahab the king of Israel and worshipped all the host of heaven oh my and served them and he built altars you say why is that oh my the worship all the host of heaven because John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he went to go worship an angel. He said, don't worship me. I'm just one of your fellow servants. Only worship God. It's not here to worship angels and this one and prophet. And now there's one God. I, the Lord, your God, I'm one. But Josiah, if you, when you go home, you can read all of 2 Kings 23. Because there arose another king, Josiah, which utterly destroyed idolatry in Samaria and in Jerusalem. We find that he, he took it even a step farther. He destroyed the altars. He destroyed the high places. He took the priests that burnt the incense and burnt them on the altar. He was so certain. I don't want anyone with any of these ideas coming back in the church. What we need today is the Holy Ghost and fire. And it's keeping me alive. It feels like fire shut up in my bones. I can't keep them from testifying. Why? Because there's something that consumes the evil. But now, it was in the New Testament that it turned from the natural to the spiritual. That the tearing down of the high places moved from an outward location of worship to the hearts of men. But we had John the Baptist that came in Isaiah chapter 40. It talks of him. It says, the voice of one that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, the highway of our Lord. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. In other words, the low place shall be made high. The high places shall be made low. And it says, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, Brother Brown would take that and hear ye him. And he says, we place values in the wrong places. Sometimes we look at things. You know, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And all the prophets had testified of that time. So the high places we made low, the mountains would skip like little rams, and the leaves would clap their hands. And what a great event. And how did it turn out? The people, the religionists of that day. These are some of the biggest words I've ever heard Brother Brown use. The religionists of that day thought that Christ would come down in a chariot from heaven and with a rod of iron. But when he come, uh, when he, when he come, what was it to bringing his bachelorette message? If you look that word at the bachelorette, that's a bachelor's degree. (laughs) So God gave a man a bachelor's degree in demon slang, in tearing down high places. And he gave him, what did he give him? Not a nice suit and a nice robe. 
And in nice places, he gave him a camel skin. What about him describes him? He says, a preacher half-dressed. Well, y'all would have quite a saying if I came up here with no shirt on. My wife, for one, wouldn't let me. But he came half-dressed. That was the preacher. And with a piece of sheepskin just wrapped around him, whiskers all out of his face like a fuzzy worm. I guess I got that going. But here come Jesus up, just an ordinary man. Walked up and was baptized in the water that an old muddy Jordan, you see, what man calls great, God calls foolish. And what man calls foolish, God calls great. See, it's just the human mind that's perverted and just the opposite to it. See, they thought in that day that they were all right. Right? They had Pharisees. They had Sadducees. They had Zealots. They had, my, they had everything going for them. They had everything for every branch of the religion that they had. They, they could perform anything they really needed to do. They had the temple worship was all in order, that they were coming. They were sacrificing. Everything was happening. The only problem was the oppressors. The Romans. And they could even look back and say, if I could really just trust God with all my heart, we could throw these off. That's what Hezekiah did. But they weren't willing to take down the high places. Because the high places now weren't built up in groves and under green trees and under things like that. The high places now were right in their own hearts. Where they could look and they say, but the feasts have been restored and respected. But their heart, they'd set up a high places to worship in their own conceit and pride. We know the story. We could go through the, 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 the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how Jesus would, would correct them and talk about, listen, it's not the washing of pots and pans. You have a law and a saying saying, you know, that, that you, know, you should help your mother and father if they're in trouble. But if you've already given that money to the church, it's okay. You don't have to help them because you've already. But that's not what the law says. You've decided to do that for your own conceit, for your own religion, religious ways. But they set them up as their high places to say, now I'm the priest, so everyone has to listen to me. And God sent his prophet to bring low those high places. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Go to this one scripture here to talk about it. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent! My, someone that felt there was nothing to repent of because they just offered a lamb. As a tradition. Brother Brown would talk about that. He says, It became tradition. When the feasts were there and the, the, the sin offering, the sin sacrifice would come and they would offer the lamb, they would put their hands and they would kill it and all of these things. And he says, at first it started out very sincere, but then as, as time went on, it became tradition. Where it just came, well, I guess it's time to go down now. It's time for this feast. It's the 14th day of the month. This is the 15th day of the month. Oh man, we got to eat unleavened bread for a week. Really, mom? I want that gluten-full white bread that just tastes so good. I want that French bread that's got the crusty on the outside. I want all of those things. That's fantastic. But we got to do this for a week. It became tradition. Yeah. Yeah. But and then there comes a man that says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is that 
which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. And the same John was, was in raiment of camel's hair and leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. And he went up to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the religion region around about Jordan and were, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Praise God, someone heard. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come out to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers! Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and bring not to say, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our fathers. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. This is really taking those high places. The high, the ones that served in the temple and bringing them right down to the stones. And says, God can raise up children from these low place stones right in the valley of Jordan and make himself children. And he goes on to say, but now is the axe laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in to the fire. Burning the same priests on the same altar. It says, and I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Oh my. And the, his fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And is that verse he covers about two thousand years? And it's amazing because here's a man that comes with no bachelor degree recognized by man. But he's got one recognized by God. And that's this axe is laid to the root of the tree. That's this high place is coming down. This low place is coming up higher. God's going to take the poor and the widows and the lame and the halt and go to the ditches and the highways and the byways. And he'll raise himself up children because the high places were used for the wrong place and they weren't torn down. They even tried to set up Brother Branham as a high place. They tried to lift him up instead of Christ. Just try to get him, even when he was alive, try and get him to compromise a little bit, and they'll make his ministry great. That was what they promised. I got quotes here, but I won't read them. Where they promised him, we'll, we'll make you a great ministry. We'll take you. They even tell him, we'll take you to hit all the high places. Brother Branham says, that's literally the words. We'll take you to hit all their high places. And you'll just have this great ministry, not realizing he already had the greatest ministry since Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Branham says in this message, in signs of his coming, he says, what did Jesus say? He said, you hypocrites. With all these priestly robes on and doctor's degrees behind you and all these big Pope Johns and everything else, all these titles and things, walk down the streets and desire the high places, the best places to go to, and you devour widows' homes and make for pretense a long prayer and learn how to say it and all men and all these things, and you'll receive more damnation. You can look to the skies. You know more about science than you do the Word of God. I was amazed. I listened to something of 
which, which really was a man of God. And, 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 but I was amazed by some of the words that came out of his mouth where he said, you know, he sat down to start a prayer line and he said, you know, we believe that God can heal in many ways. And the first words out of his mouth was, we believe that God can heal through medical silence. And then they cut the video off there. So the poor man, I'm sure he said more than that. But they cut a video off there to say, well, he can heal through medical science. Yeah, he can, but they know more about that now than they do about the word of God. He says, you look at the skies, you listen to the weather reports, the weather prophets, more than you listen to the word. You say the sky is low and red, so forth like that. Tomorrow it'll be foul weather. The sun sets it clear, it'll be fair. He says, listen, if you could discern the face of the skies, but the signs of the time you cannot discern. You'd have known me, you'd have known my day. There's the sign of the Messiah. See how they miserably failed. See, now, Brother Branham uses Ephesians chapter 6. So we want to bring it down personal now, real personal. Ephesians chapter 6, he uses that to preach the message, greatest battle ever fought. And he couples that together with, with 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 and to 10, which says this. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Now, remember, he's using these, message, these, these scriptures to preach greatest battle ever fought, which is where? It's in our minds. There are lots of historians that study battles. They study the First World War, the Second, Korean, Napoleonic Wars. They study all kinds of different wars. The, the Gettysburg and the, the Civil War and all of these different wars. This is the greatest one. Is raging every day. And he says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, you're not alone in this fight. Amen. It might be personal between you and God and the devil's fighting you. But you're not the only one fighting him. You're not the only one he's after. You're not the only one. You're not on your own island saying, that I'm, I'm it, this is it. No one's ever gone through this before. Yeah, somebody has. And somebody is right now. He says, but all, but the grace, but, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus, after that he hath suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So the greatest battle in the entire history of the world is in the mind. And we are, we are at war daily with principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this world. We have to war against spiritual wickedness in high places daily. But Satan as a roaring lion goes about. The roar of a lion is said to paralyze a man with fear. So that he doesn't even feel the, 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 the killing blow when the lion would kill him or bite into him because he's so paralyzed with the fear of the giant roar right in the face. It's that terrifying and that's the, what the devil wants to do because we know that he is a bluff. He's nothing but a bluff. He ain't got no teeth. He ain't got no claws. But he wants to paralyze you with fear. 
In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. We love this part, right? Perfect love casteth out fear. But listen, expert, because fear hath torment. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to scare you and, and paralyze your faith with fear of something that you have no business fearing. You got no business fearing the government. You got no business fearing whatever kind of uh, mandates they want to put in place. You got no business fearing the ways of the world. You got no business fearing these things. You got business fearing God. Respecting God, respecting the commandments of God, and living according to His commandments. That's our business. But he wants to try and set it up in a certain way. So he can cause you to fear something you ought not to fear. He wants you to set up a high place in your heart to worship a strange God. To worship a God of fear. To try and so consume your life. By setting up an altar to something that you got no business worshiping. See, he says God has an awful time getting a fellow to yield to him. That's true. That's what Brother Brown says. The eagle stirreth her nest. He says, like Samson. Samson was kind of a ladies' man. He yielded his strength to God, but he wouldn't give his heart to God. He gave that to Delilah, and that's all God could use was his strength. Listen, now Samson was a great man. He was a judge in Israel, but he never could give the high place of his heart to God. He kept building up an altar to a beautiful woman. And he kept building it again. That beautiful woman got taken away. So then he found another one. And then he found another one. Till finally it cost him his life because he found Delilah. But he gave his strength to God. And I'll say it this way to you and to me as as the worshiper and as the believer and as the ones living in this end time. God will use what you'll give him. If all you'll give him is your gift to play an instrument and to sing nicely, he'll use that. But what's the end result? If you don't give him your heart. David would write, try the reins of my heart. In other words, you, I want you, God, right in the throne of power, right in the seat of power of my life, right in my heart to have full control. The greatest battle is up here in the mind, but it's warring over something down here. Whether it's faith or whether it's fear and doubt. Because he wants doubt and fear to reign in there. He'll let you sing for God. He'll let you worship for God. He'll let you come to a message church. But are you really willing to totally rip down the high places? So all those old things that once bothered me, I don't even want them creeping up at all. I want to cut the roots right out. Amen. I'm not interested in just taking the chainsaw, cutting the tree off a couple feet high, taking the stump grinder, grind it out, dig a big hole. Put the bomb in there, the bomb of Gilead. Put it in there, blow it out. We're not warring against flesh and blood. Our fight is not the kingdoms of this world. We are in the contest of strength between the church and the devil. And it's the greatest contest there is and ever was. 
that we must war against the enemy, putting his, his spiritual wickedness in high places in our hearts. He wants to do that, but we need to fight against it. We need to fight against the rulers of the darkness of this world trying to oppress. We need to rather put our trust completely in the Lord. Brother Brown was saying the message, the contest, he'd say, if you need to learn to train how to fight, start with John 3.16. Just start there and go from there and begin to learn until finally you can begin to learn the knockout punches. It's just the way it is when it talks about the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Sometimes we just want to take the sword of the word. We like the way it feels and swings. And we just start swinging it around to priests who don't realize that when you're reaching back here swinging, you're hitting your brother all the time. You ain't getting any devils at all because you haven't been trained to use it. Because it says the very first thing it says to do is it says, gird up your loins with truth. Sanctify us by the truth. Thy word is truth. So it says, gird up the loins. Peter would say, gird up the loins of your mind. With what? The word of God. In other words, learn how to use it. You don't just put a soldier out on the battlefront and say, here, quick, here's a sword, here's a shield. They tried to do it to David. Here's a sword, here's a shield, here's some armor. Go and fight Goliath. He says, I'm going to have a clue how to use this stuff. I'm going to hurt somebody that I ain't supposed to hurt. And I ain't going to do any good against the enemy. Somebody's going to have to train me to do those things. Because we find out later on he became pretty apt to use those things. Yeah, they even gave him Goliath's sword. He didn't just use any sword. He went and took the big one. Give me that one. I want to really kill some devils. I want to really do some damage to the enemy because now I know how to use it. Why? What happened? How did he learn how to use it? He uh, went into the king's house, learned how to soothe the king playing the harp. That taught him how to use a sword? Yeah, it actually did. Because in that, he was around the king's guard. He was around them perhaps when they were training. It taught him how to be patient. You don't just run in there all the time. We get that way sometimes, don't we? We lose the patience. Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue. What do you add to virtue? Knowledge, knowledge. Temperance, temperance. Oh, okay, good. It is in there, okay. Yeah, I knew it was. You got to add the patience in there. Because we get that way sometimes. We see something come up and we just, I'm going to get in charge. And it's an ambush. I really should have waited on that one. You got to have some patience. You got to learn. And David's learning. He's learning how to do it till finally he becomes the leader of 37 plus 3 mighty men of valor. And you're going to meet the devil. The Bram says in the message of the contest, he says, you're going to meet him, sure as anything else. You're going to meet the devil. Amen. You're going to have to fight him. Right. You can't get away from it forever. Say, I've been running, running, running. I'm running for my life. I'm running for my life. If anybody asks you, what's the matter with me? Tell him I'm scared of that old devil. He's roaring at me and I got to get away. No, that's not how the song goes, right? Foolishness of preaching, right? All right. We got to run. Yeah. We got to know how to fight. You're going to meet that devil somewhere. 
Whether it's right in the middle of the battlefield or whether it's guerrilla warfare because you're busy hiding in the trees and he says, boo. You've got to put on the whole armor. You've got to gird up your loins with truth. You've got to learn how to use. You've got to sit there in the presence of the sun and ripen. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to know. You've got to be in the services. You've got to be attentive. You've got to believe what you're hearing. You've got to take it to your heart and know that this is more than just nice words and poetry and a greater sense of knowledge that the message brought us. It's greater than that. It's revelation, it's life, it's truth. It'll set us free in this day. It's light in the midst of darkness. It's exactly what we need to overcome the enemy if we put our trust fully in it. But you have to do that. If you do those things and you learn how to use that sword, you learn how to use that shield, but it's not just a sword and shield because you've been living a good, clean, righteous life. So right in the darkest of moments when it seems like you've met an enemy that's just too big and he's knocked the sword and you're not sure what to say and he's knocked the shield you say, Lord, I'm not sure how I could go on and he comes down hard with his little stick and he hits a hard breastplate. They can't pick it apart because even though I, I beat them in a debate and even though I overcame their faith, they've lived right. They've been living a righteous life. I still can't kill them. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. He says, notice how much and how much more will it do to that old when that was dejected, when, when that was rejected, the new birth, because only as our life is changed and you've been converted and born anew into the kingdom of God, your nature will still be of the things of the world. If you haven't been born again, no matter how religious you are, unless, he has, unless there has been a change in you, you could worship and be religious. They did in the king, days of the kings. Oh, they worship and they were religious. They even come to places that we can fear the Lord and we can worship our own gods and follow our own ways. You can do all those things, but you'll never overcome. But still, you'll have some kind of drawing power. Because this old man of sin has his desires is not yet dead. But once, hallelujah, once let Christ take the throne of your heart. And those things don't bother. It's so much greater. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He might be a roaring lion going about, but we got a real lion. He's actually got teeth. He's actually got claws. He's actually got power. That is greater than anything the enemy can throw at us. Amen. He said in the last days, though, can I go a step further? Will you give me more time? Oh, I've got lots more time. Praise God. At least five more minutes. So as he said in Matthew 24, in, in the Pergamon church age, Brother Brown says in Matthew 24, that in the last days the two spirits would be so close together that only the very elect could tell them apart. For they alone will not be deceived. How can you tell, where this, tell the spirits apart? He says, just give them the word test. If they don't speak the word, they are of the evil one, as the evil one deceived the first two brides. He will try and deceive the bride of this last days. 
Even though it's prophesied and it's known in the word that she will not fall, he's still going to try. Okay, he's not easily given up. He's an adversary. It's a fight every day. You've got to know how to fight. You have a fight. But it says this. He says that as the evil one did try to deceive the first two, she'll try and deceive the last day one by trying to get her to hybridize herself through creeds or just plainly turning from the word to any sign that suits her. Oh, my. Trying to get her to look at what? A man. What's he trying to get her to do? Build up a high place. That's why it's so important. Tear the high place down. Don't just take out the, 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 the idols and things and say, I don't worship those ways anymore. I don't go that way anymore. Take the ability to go that way anymore completely out. You give the devil a lot harder of a try to fight. Because he's trying to get you to build the altar again. He's trying to get you to build the high place again. He's trying to get you to put up there to say, put a man up there. He's got a good gift. Put that up there. Put a church up there. Put a sign up there. Put Brother Branham up there. Come on. He loves it when you do that. Put the prophet and worship him. No, sir. Not interested. He says this. He says, signs follow the word. As when Elijah told the woman to bake a cake for him first. (laughs) Hallelujah. It wasn't, don't worry about it. Go and check. The barrel's full already. No, it was, go use everything that's in there. Drain every last drop of oil out of that cruise. Till there ain't nothing left. Then I'll fill it. But you got to take a step of faith. you got to pick up the shield. you got to take the sword. you got to gird up the Lord to your mind. you got to do these things because otherwise you're going to find be found wanting. He says, when you come to the word first, then watch the miracle. The seed word is energized by the spirit. Now, in, in Revelations in the, in, the, in the church age book, he says this. He says, now remember this. This is a very familiar quote to everyone here. It says, Christ in the true church is a continuation of the book of Acts. Amen. Both the good things and the bad things. The miracles and the persecution. It'll all be there. It wasn't all wonderful roses and nice beds of ease in the book of Acts. If you've ever read it, they spent a lot of time in jail. <laughs> they spent a lot of time before they had Sanhedrin council. They spent a lot of time getting lowered over walls with baskets. Right? Spent a lot of time running, a lot of time getting stoned and healing from it. Nearly killed multiple times. Shipwrecked, marooned on an island. We want a book of Acts. Praise God. Ooh, this is hard. Yeah. When you stand for God, the devil's going to fight. But praise God, because every time he challenges the word, God raises up a standard. And the spirit of God comes in, and it raises up a man of God, and it's able to combat the enemy in every situation. It says, but the book of Revelation shows how that the Antichrist spirit would come into the church and defile it, making it lukewarm, formal, powerless. It exposes Satan, revealing his works, attempting destruction of God's people, and trying to discredit God's word. Right down to the time when he is cast in the lake of fire, he fights that. He cannot stand it. He knows, he knows that if the people ever get the true revelation of the true church and what she is, what she stands for, for and that she can do the greater works, she will be an invincible army. So let me tell you, he's going to try and intercept the football every time. Every time God throws it 
at you, he's going to try and stop it. Every time he tries to reveal something to you, he's going to try and insert something else. You've got to fight. This is our fight. To fight for every inch of ground. To dispossess the enemy. And to possess the land and tear down the high places. As if they get the true revelation of the two spirits within the framework of the Christian church. And by God's spirit, discern and withstand the antichrist spirit. That's as simple as it is. Just withstand it. That is our fight. Just withstand it. Satan will be powerless before her. He will be as definitely thwarted today as when Christ withstood his every effort to gain power over her in the desert. Satan hates revelation. Oh, but we love it. With true revelation in our lives, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. But we will prevail over them. Oh my, if that ain't more real today than it was yesterday after this morning service, you missed something. We will prevail over them. No matter how much he's trying to prevail, he's trying to fight, we will prevail over them. The gates of hell are against the bride of Christ, but we will prevail over them. He brought COVID into the church, but we will prevail over them. He tried to shut us down, but we will prevail over them. He tried to bring sickness and fear into your life, but we will prevail over them every time by the power of God. Let's go one more place. Esther chapter 7. When I read this, I shouted this afternoon. So if you think I'm shouting now, buckle up. Esther chapter 7, verse 3. Says, Then Esther, the queen, answered after the king had asked, What's your request? And said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at thy petition and my people at thy request. What a shocking request to the king. Who would dare? She says, For we are sold, and my people to be destroyed and be slain and to perish. For if he, if we had been sold for bondmen or bondwoman, I had held my tongue. Although the enemy would not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? And where is he that does presume in his heart to do so? He's not just interested who is he. Show me where he is. Aim the catapult. Aim the arrow. Aim the sword. I'll put it right in his heart. Hallelujah. Esther said, this adversary, the enemy, is this wicked Haman. The one sitting right beside you, king. It ain't going to be a hard fight. He's right there. Dumb devil. And he says this, and Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. He done roared his best roar, but the queen spoke back. And now who's afraid? Now who's full of fear? And the king arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath went into the palace garden 
And the Haman stood to make requests for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. And the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed whereupon Esther was. Oh, this is beautiful right now. This is exactly where we're standing right now in this day. Because right here you have, here's the king in the chambers with Esther, and here's the enemy trying to defile her. But right now he would say in the church age book that he made sure he'd be standing in the midst of his church receiving all of the glory. But even still that he's there, the enemy's right there beside him trying to defile your heart as God is reigning and ruling in your heart. And what did the king say? Will he force the queen also before me? In the house? Who does this guy think he is? And this next is what made me shout. And as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's head. They still do that today. When someone's dead, they take the sheet. They go all the way up. His heart was still beating in his chest. He still had breath in his lungs. But they said, there ain't no point. The king has spoken. The word of God has said that your end is the lake of fire. The word of God has said that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The word of God has said by his stripes you are healed. It has said that he bore all of your iniquity. It has said that the chastisement of your peace is upon him. So don't worry, devil. We're just taking the sheet. We're going all the way up. We might as well just call it what it is. Death, you're dead. Congratulations, you done stung yourself. Hallelujah. Got too close to the king on Calvary. Lost it all. Every one of his best laid plans canceled. Notice how he clings to her. Notice how he clings to her. Isn't he still doing that today? You're going to walk out of here and he's going to cling to you. Please don't tear down my high place. Please don't take that last little thing from me. We got a good thing going. Don't take it now. It's time to pull the sheet. I said that was the last one, but let's go one more. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Please forgive me if you're going to hold me accountable for lying. I apologize. Second Samuel chapter 23. Definitely got the wrong one there. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 23. That would definitely make a lot more sense. Oh, that's the right one. Sorry. Chapter 23 and verse 15 of 2 Samuel says this, and David longed, said, oh, that one would give me a drink 
of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the hosts of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the man that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. It goes on to record some of the other great things that he did, but I want to take notice. These men fought through every Philistine. Every evil thing that stood in the way because their king had a desire. Something raised up within him and said, oh, for a drink. He's way up in the mountain. He's hiding in a cave. And down there, right by the gate, there's a well. And there's a whole army between here and there. And he says, oh, for a drink. Our king does that to you. He never does look at the enemy. He never does focus on the army between. He just says, go possess the land. He looks beyond her and he sees the well. And he says, oh, for a drink. And these men were wheeling three against thousands because their king whispered a small request. They brought that drink back and they protected it all the way to the cave. It wasn't just that they fought their way down there. It wasn't just that they got to the Philistines the first time. But when they finally got down there in two, I'm sure, were sitting there. And they were warding off the enemy as the third one was letting down the vessel. And they were getting it filled up. And now they had to bring it back without spilling it. They had to bring it back without letting the Philistines spit in it. They had to try it with all of the slaying that was going on. Don't get any blood in there. Don't trip and fall and get the grass and the dirt and the mud in there. It was important that this was something that was drinkable. Through the worst enemy, through all of these thousands of devils sitting there, they were willing to fight in and fight their way back out and then keep it fresh. What about us? We got to fight for every inch of ground to perform the will of the king. If you're going to be about the father's business, it's a fight. It's a battle every inch of the way. You're going to have to defeat the enemy. And when you finally get through this way, you turn around and realize they done closed the gap again. I got to fight my way back through again. But did we all, did we do all to stand and bring a fresh drink? When God desires fellowship with us, can he come and commune with you on fresh, clean Water. Is it the fresh kill, the fresh carcass? Is there a fresh drink for the king, or have you filled it with every opinion and of every evil spirit that you found online? Coming to a close now. Stay with me. Have we filled that bottle up with every spit of every enemy and every bit of blood in there? And we've put it so we finally get it to the king, and he looks at it and goes, oh. It's not poured on the ground as a drink offering. It's poured on the ground because this is nasty. Did we allow some Philistine to spit in your drink? Spoil the taste. Were you running and fleeing, too afraid to fight, so now the drink is full of mud and grass and bugs? 
sneaking through the bush, got a few leaves in there. Just reach your filthy hand in and pull them out. It's really straight, Brother Andrew. I need to get it this way for you. Because it's so messy that your drink is half full of the blood of your enemies. And when you get on your knees and pray, all you've got for God is how you hate this and hate that. How all these people in sin and nobody measures up. God, how could you let it last this long when God said, Brother Branham, come here. i got to show you something. You're trying to wipe it off the face of the earth. Let me show you your sins for a minute. Help us keep it pure, sweet, clean. So as the scripture says, the love of God is perfected in us. I believe the king is crying out tonight, oh, for a fresh drink. Oh, that I could have fellowship with believers. They caught a fresh drink for me. Their lives aren't full of the opinions of the internet and the opinions of the co-workers and the opinions of this. And when they come and pray, all they got is all kinds of filthiness and all kinds of horrible things and all kinds of repenting to do. I got no problem with repenting. I love a penitent and a contrite spirit. But is that all it is? Or is there something that he can say? This is real fellowship. This is what I've been longing for. This is a bride coming to maturity. This is someone that's been laying in the presence of the sun. This is someone that's been ripening. This is some maturity. I'm going to be honest with you right now as a father. When a father picks up a little baby, there's not a lot of fellowship there. When a father takes his little baby boy in his arms or a baby girl, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's life, and it's happiness, and it's, you wouldn't give it away for anything. You can't play with him. You certainly can't throw him around. You can't wrestle. The fellowship is very limited. How are you doing today? God's looking for real fellowship. Where he can sit down with a mature son and say, how are you doing? We can sure stay in those baby stages where we've got all the high places built up. Where all the enemy's waiting for is the emotion to wear off. And he can go build his altar again. Because that's what a special service is, right? You come and you tear down all those things and I'm never going this way again. Praise God. I got a hold of God. This is wonderful. I pray it went so far that you tore down the high places too. And you really filled it with God on your heart. Because otherwise, the enemy's just sitting there waiting and saying, let the emotion wear off. He's patient. You say, well, I don't worship those ways anymore. I believe I've done what's pleasing to the Lord. So did Asa. So did Jehoshaphat. So did Jotham. Yet none of them took the high places down. And what happened? They rebuilt the idol worship. Did you completely separate yourself from all unbelief so that God can give you victory in every area? That's his desire. He wants to give you a victory day like you've never had before. He wants to set you so free, so free.
till you can walk out here saying, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And I know it's real because I want you to have a moment tonight where you can say, I seen Haman clinging to me, begging for mercy, but I pulled the sheet over his head. Are you with me tonight? Let's stand to our feet. Scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We need the life of Christ. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That we have faith in God. It says, who is he that overcometh the world? He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ. Not by water only. Not by water and blood. But by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness. Because the Spirit is truth. And we'll go on to talk and say, what would you rather have? The witness of man? Or the witness of God? There's been plenty come that have had the witness of man. That's great man, wonderful man, wonderful this, wonderful that, wonderful gifts. But wouldn't you rather have the witness of God that says, this is my son. I'm pleased to be with him. I'm pleased to dwell in his heart. I'm pleased that he's taken out all the high places. I'm ready to bless him. I'm ready to help him overcome the oppressor. I'm ready to help him overcome every Philistine, every evil, wicked way. Brother Brown would talk about Martin in the Church Age book. He says, by signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, Martin was truly vindicated as the messenger of that age. He not only was he gifted by a great ministry, he himself was forever true to the word of God. He fought organization. He withstood sin in high places. He companioned, championed, he championed the truth in word and deed and lived out a full life of Christian victory. A biographer wrote of him in this wise. It says, no one ever saw him angry or disturbed or grieving or laughing. He was always just one and the same. And he seemed something beyond mortal, wearing on his countenance a sort of celestial joy. Never was anything on his lips but Christ. Never anything in his heart but piety, peace and piety, peace and pity. Often did he weep for the sins, even of those of his detractors, who when he was quiet and absent, attacked him with viperous lips, poisonous tongues. Many hated him for the virtues they themselves did not possess and could not imitate. And alas, his bitterest assailants were bishops were men that were considered great men. But what is it? That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Something no one could impersonate. It made them so angry. It ain't no different today. The devil's okay with you being religious. 
He's okay with you having a form. He's okay with you coming to church. Oh, he loves that you come to a message church. Then you really can get condemned. But when you get the life and you're born anew in Christ, he can't impersonate that. And he still hates that. And he'll fight it tooth and nail right till he's cast in the lake of fire. We gotta fight. Are you ready to fight? Amen. Amen. I wanna change the order a little bit. I know it's sober right now, but this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The peace that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The love that I have, the world didn't give it to me. They didn't give it and they can't take it away. I'm not going to give them the time of day. This joy that I have, well, the world didn't give it to me. Said this joy that I have, oh, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, oh, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. This love, oh, yes, this love that I have. that I have. Oh, the world didn't give it to me. Yes, this word that I have. The world didn't give it to me. Oh, this word that I have. Oh, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. For he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And on time, God, yes, He is. Oh, He may not come when you want Him to, but He'll be there right on time. Where He's an on time, God. Oh, yes, He sing that again. He's on time. Where He's an on time, God. your healing. Just tell him what you want. Oh, if you want your healing, just tell him what you want. Well, if you want your healing, just tell him what you want. Cause it's on the main line now. If you want deliverance. Oh, and if you want deliverance, tell him what you want. Tell him what you want, oh, if you want deliverance, just tell him what you want. It's Jesus on the main line, call him up. Oh, so call him 
up, call him up, and tell him what you want. Call him up, call him up, and tell him what you want. Oh, call him up, just call him up, tell him what you want. Cause it's Jesus on the main line. Oh, hold to God's soldiers, hold to God's unchanging hand. Holy Ghost that I have Oh, the world didn't give it to me Yes, this Holy Ghost that I have Oh, the world didn't give it to me This Holy Ghost Well, the world didn't give it to me The world didn't give it And the world can't take it away Hallelujah Hallelujah Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're in a fight. But let me tell you, the devil's already defeated. He's already been judged. He's already powerless. We're exposing him even right into the life, right into your heart. So you say, Lord, he's completely exposed. I want to take the high places right out. I don't want any of my joy to come from worshiping something that ain't God. I don't want any of my peace to come from something that ain't the Word. I don't want anything to come from something that ain't God. I want all Him and nothing else. Give me Jesus and take the whole world away. Just give me Jesus. And I'll tell you this, He's always on time. He's always on time. When the devil shows up and gives you the boo. Roars as loud as he can, tries to scare you. He's always right there. If you trust in him, you trust him? That he's an on time God. Yes, he is. Oh, he's an on time God. Amen. Ain't God good to give us so many blessings? Undeserving, that's what we are. Oh, we ought to love Him. Shout and praise Him. He's so good to us. Amen. Amen. Ain't God good to give us so many blessings? Undeserving, that's what we are.
Hallelujah. Don't you love the Lord? Amen. Amen. I think we're going to go from here today victorious. Now let me rephrase it. I know we're going to go from here today victorious. Because we are the prevailing seed. Amen. And it will prevail over the gates of hell every time. Because it's got God on the inside fighting your battles for you. Oh my. I need to sing another song. Is that okay? Good because we're gonna sing my favorite song. When I'm in need, I know who to phone. Amen. When I'm in need, I call on the Lord. Oh, and he hears me. Yes, he helps me. He is faithful and true. We'll forget his own. best friend, the only true God. There's no one greater, wonderful Savior, Jesus, the Lion of Judah. Oh, our God is tremendous, His strength never failing. He'll go through the fire just to save a sinner. Yes, He is almighty, He sends His angels to guide me. cannot handle it's God in simplicity revealed you and me amen he gave us the victory the greatest love story if you're in need let me encourage you when you're in need just call on the Lord oh he will hear you he can heal you he is faithful and so true oh forget his soul Oh, he can be your companion, oh, and your best friend, the only true God. There's no one greater, wonderful Savior, my Jesus, the Lion of Judah. Oh, my God, he's so tremendous. He'll go through the fire just to save a sinner. Yes, he is almighty. Sends his angels to guide me. Oh, there is no sort too powerful. Our God cannot handle. It's God in simplicity revealed in you and me. Came down from his glory and gave us the victory. The greatest love story. When you're in trouble, it's Jehovah Nissi. He's the great enforcer. Just loves a paradox, so stay in your position. Oh, watch it come into action. Oh, my God is tremendous, his strength never failing. He'll go through the fire just to save. 
is almighty, he sent his angels to guide me. glory and gave us a victory, the greatest love story. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, my. When you're in trouble, just call on his name. When it seems like the enemy's right there begging on your side, say, Lord, it's this guy over here. Pull the sheet. Devil, it's over. You ain't got no more place here. 